Okay, more to come, fans. It's time for another episode of Stargazing. And uh, so I'm here talking with PW Graphic Novels Review Editor, Meg Linke. Hey, Meg, how you doing? I'm doing well. Hello, Calvin. So we're having a Stargazing. I mean, we haven't done it in a while. We need to get back on track. Maybe you need to. That's what just, we say every time. I know, I know. But there you go. But give us, give our, give us just a, just a quick reminder of what we mean when we say stargazing this is a special segment of the more to come podcast where calvin and i chat about um recently published or forthcoming titles that received a star review in publishers weekly and a star review is a special feature of a review that um, means it's notable and excellent in its um execution so we reserve that for very you can have a positive review and not necessarily get a star it's all very subjective and secretive and amazing so these are <laughs> yeah, these are books we really want all the above yes <laughs> publishers and readers to pay attention to so we want to give them another boost by talking about them on the podcast and basically it's like a love fest calvin and i just had gab about what we like about these books all right yeah i think that's a pretty good it's like a wikipedia entry there you go all right yeah. so what do we got this week so we have two titles that um, not only receive star reviews, they also have the most recent um, print profiles on the authors or the cartoonists. So we, we have a lot to talk about. Um, and oh, right. Of- and you did them both. That's true. <laughs> you wrote them I wrote both. these. That's yes. right. I thought this would be an easy podcast for me to do. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you don't even need me, but go on. No, no. <laughs> there's, actually, there's actually I, I've homework. Already- there's a written, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I've curriculum. already written about these folks, so I'd love to hear more from about what you think about the book. Right. But the first um, is, I particularly wanted to bring this book up, Esther's Notebook by Riyadh Satouf, um, which is published by Pantheon and translated from the French by Sam Taylor, which came out in January. And we particularly want to talk about Riyadh because he just took the um, grand prize at Angoulême. Oh, yes, that's right. Which was... Um, you know, all of the finalists for the grand prize were incredibly notable. So it's always controversial who eventually wins. And, but, you know, Satouf is, is so extremely well loved in the readership in France and has actually, um, very strong critical claim in the U.S. And this is a new book from a new publisher. So his works, The Arab of the Future series were published previously by Metropolitan and have gone up to number Four, um, and the next is not yet released in the U.S. Um, How many meantime, volumes is that series? It's yeah. Um, I can't say. I think it's four. It might be five. I can oh, okay. check that. Yeah. I should know since I wrote the book. And besides, on top of it being uh, a massive European bestseller, really fabulous. Well. And in fact, yeah. I think it's worth. Um, actually, so it was number. It's gone up to number four in English, but not number five. Yeah. All right. All right. So Esther's Notebook is a new book published by Pantheon. Um, this is, there's a, a lot of complicated explanation, but essentially it's one volume so far from Pantheon. They may do another that's not yet determined. Mm. But in France, it was released as multi-volumes because it's actually collecting mm. his ongoing newspaper or arts magazine um, series. So this was originally serialized and it's a, comic strip which each page represents a week in the life of a young girl in Paris who's actually the neighbor of mm. Satouf. And a very um, young girl. Yeah, she's a tween. I mean she's she's nine ten she's ten years old when the book starts and she's about twelve when this when this volume mm-hmm. closes. Um which is coincidentally, you know, my daughter just is eleven, so it felt it all felt very uh, close to home. Okay. 
Maybe we can get a review from her. I don't know that I want her to read this book. Okay. Well, that's a good point to talk. That's an interesting point, but go on. We we, we can talk yeah. about that. In fact, as Satoof says, I believe, um, I won't get the exact quote unless I pull it up, but in my profile with him, he said something like, I write books about children for adults. Yes. And, and I think that's a good way to characterize it, but yes, but go on. Yes. So he... He approaches this work with a kind of anthropological <laughs> mode of, you know, what is, how, how is life for a young girl who is not quite a teenager and is in this leaving childhood in contemporary France. And she is the child of friends of his. So she's a family friend, which gives him this particular access to her. Um, which, you know, it's also sort of interesting as an American because there's some, I think because it's a comic book and it does talk about some more adult themes, um, it's, it feels a little uncomfortable, like the idea of uh, somebody writing about a young girl's life without it being her writing the work. And there's sort of a lot of complications around privacy and something like that, that I think in some ways just completely sidestepped by the French. <laughs> they just, yeah, like, for it. yeah. And, the fact that he's imagining aspects of what her, you know, the drawings are um, not photorealistic. They're completely cartoons. And so he's imagining like what the encounters look like that she tells him about um, are hilarious. And, you know, and there's some, there's really a line between mocking and praising this precocious, hilarious, sometimes annoying child. Um, and she, these, I call them like dispatches from the front of tweendom in my profile. You know, she's very, precocious and sort of full of herself. And I think that mm. that's really funny, but it also um, leads her to say these things that are like real out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> Moments. She talks about how like the, the secret to success, no matter what your background is, is to be bendy and blonde. And her main example is Beyonce. <laughs> because she has this example, you know, example when Beyonce's had her hair blonde and she's like, mm-hmm. um, and when she says bendy, what does she mean? She means like, uh, flexible, yeah. like, you know, like a great dancer. She specifically yes. means a great dancer because yes. she herself, yes. Esther is a great dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She is, of course, the star of her own universe as what nine year old, 10 year old is it? Right, exactly. Um, and you know, a lot of the work is about confronting them. It's about actually, she starts thinking about race and racism. She's a white child in mm. France. Um, and she goes to a school with diverse, um, kids and especially, you know, there's some commentary on the contemporary racism in France and tensions around immigration and refugee in France, which is, you know, an, a microcosm of all of the kind of issues across Europe in terms of ways of immigration. And, um, France is very, I, I feel like from people I've spoken to, at least Christians I've spoken to before, you know, France is very still nationalistic in that where people say they are French first, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think a lot of the American idea of leading with personal identity, um, is, is navigated differently. And you see that through these pages. Mm. Um, do you have thoughts? I could talk about this book. Uh, well, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 um, uh, I, I have the same reactions, uh, to the book. I mean, uh, it, the, it, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, his interviews with, uh, Esther are, uh, a, a combination of, of charming, charming outrageousness. Uh, mm-hmm. there's a bit of the, uh, uh, 
tweens say the darndest things, that would be the expurgated version. I think um, Esther would say, uh, as she does at one point in the book, saying, well, you know, he, he changes some things. Uh, right. She'd probably say, kids say the damnedest things. Um, uh, and it's an interesting, I mean, it's very interesting because you, you, you also see a, a, a child uh, in, being introduced to the world and how they navigate it and how they put facts together. And as we know, often kids put facts together based on what they know and then what they don't know. And what they don't know, they use what little they do know to kind of make sense of it. So you get some very comical juxtapositions, um, but also some very um, kind of bluntly uh, politically incorrect and maybe slightly disturbing right. <laughs> reactions that, in my opinion, are due basically to uh, being a child. But as you said, um, uh, I think all children today uh, navigate the world a little bit differently than maybe we did when we were nine or ten years old. Uh, they've all got more information. They've all got smartphones. Or if they don't, they're they're pining for one. Uh, uh, but but as you said, she encounters a lot of topics uh, that even adults have problems navigating. Religion, <laughs> boys, <laughs> the, uh, their her her teachers, uh, her dad, and these and as she her responses to these are equally uh, hilarious and you know. Uh, often inappropriate. <laughs> so. Right. And the idea is that they're often very telling. I mean, I think that, I think that baseline, these are funny observational comics about the tweenhood and the part of particulars of this young girl. But what Satouf is in some ways getting at is the ways that adults also make decisions and snap judgments and that she is just a raw and frank version of that. Yes. There's a whole section where she ranks political candidates based on how they look. Yes. And, you know, I think he says in my interview with him that that's exactly how people really vote. You know, like realistically that, that tracks that psychologically people tend to vote for well, people they think are attractive in whatever way. Um, and, I don't completely disagree with that, even for the American electorate. Right. <laughs> you know, the, 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 uh, the extreme subjectivity, uh, that's used to kind of judge political candidates in this country very often. Um, I don't think that they're kind of looking up policy because most Americans kind of don't know that much policy. You know, they want to know, can they have a beer with somebody? Uh, you know, do they talk too much? Uh, do they seem arrogant? And it, it thinks right. that, so she, just, <laughs> she stands in as a critique yeah. of uh, society. And in some ways, she, because she's unvarnished in it, um, in her telling or her reactions, it's comical, because, but it, it's very it's re, uh, reflective of the ways that people don't necessarily heal those kinds of um, snap judgments from their tween. But I, I, I do find interesting because like this, this particular book kind of leaps from she's at around nine or 10. Mm -hmm. And then later in the book, she's 11 or 12. And I, you know, you, I, I did notice some movement, uh, some sense of filtering, not a lot, mm -hmm. but some, um, <laughs> there was, she, she has a whole, she has a whole page on religions that's fairly amusing as she kind of, shows how little she knows beyond the superficial of religion, only to come to a conclusion that, you know what, maybe I've just said a little bit too much. 
it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Um, she definitely is growing up. I mean, that's what yes. I think is really fascinating about this yes. series is that she's growing up, and you see that happening with self reflection that's absent in the beginning, um, coming up and going and asking friends who have different backgrounds from her more directly to help fill her in. I mean, she starts seeking out other perspectives. Mm-hmm across yeah. the book and sharing that. And then she has some heartache, you know, some loves lost and found. She has a pretty hilarious ongoing um hatred of her older brother that's quite yes, funny. It's just, quite hilarious. Oh my god. And she doesn't she doesn't pull any punches either. Uh as as I as I recall <laughs> she says, you know, he's a bit stupid. Uh, <laughs> and but that's it, normal it's for a boy. Oh my god. <laughs> she, yeah, quotes like that Sorry, but, go ahead. But if you see the portrayal of these boys, and, and now as, as happens very often, I mean, you know, you know, maybe maybe he's taking a page from Animal Farm. You know, this the he, the the world is kind of reduced to the social interactions of the schoolyard. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and boy, and it's it's you talk about the war of all against wall. It, it's it's like. You know, it really is, uh, you know, a, uh, I, I think I'm, I'm losing the word, but it, it is that the, the war of one species against another and, uh, it's rigidly hierarchical. Uh, you know, the boys represent, you know, kind of the depths and ugliness of human society. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, the girls are a little different, of course, but boy, they, you know, they're pretty tough on each other. Everything's ranked on, on who's attractive and who's not, or presumed to be. And, um, even the boys that try to, to show some kindness are, are just show, are just, just sneered at, you know, as pathetic, you know, it's like what they're trying to be girls. I mean, what are, what's going to be left for us? <laughs> I know one of the sort of most sympathetic male characters, she's just excoriated. Yeah, she's just like he's beneath contempt. He That's wants terrible. to play with the girls? What a fool. <laughs> I think that what's so fascinating reading this, if you're a fan of Satouf's Arab of the Future series, which is about his own childhood, and he was in these very kind of violent situations with in childhood, including some, you know, his father was a domineering yeah. man at different yeah. points in his life. Um, Taking him from, from bourgeois France to it, almost impoverished Arab, <laughs> an Arab childhood. Yeah, and it's a really fascinating work, and it's a lengthy, in-depth work about his experiences as a childhood, including in um, schools where there was uh, like actual abuse by the teachers, you know, like the kind of hitting of children across the hands with rulers and um, uh, belts in front of the school, you know, that capital punishment was a regular part yes. of his schooling and um, in his childhood. And he said that he anticipated that this would be completely different in these French schools that were contemporary schools. And in, in the, there is um, more of a sort of not entirely benign neglect of the teachers yeah. of the schoolyard. <laughs> Good way to phrase it. <laughs> or the idea that whenever anyone turned their eyes away, everything just went to complete hell. You know? yeah, <laughs> like, a, a clueless I mean, indifference, indifference among the uh, uh, the teachers and counselors, it seemed, uh, that, that, that she likes to take note of. That, you know, right. Or that she just considers to be the natural order of things. Like they're, the all, they're all staring at their phones. <laughs> During recess. Well, Esther doesn't have a phone until the very end. That's yes. the greatest tragedy of her life is that she doesn't have a phone. Um, to say nothing of the time that she finds porn on, on a friend's phone, which is one of the most <laughs> terrifying yet poignant scenes in the book. But um, I, I, I do want to point up also, I mean, this is, 
the, I mean, this is early in the book, and it's it's sort of it, 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 to me, it's a, it's a a flag, a, it's a symbolic reference to race without necessarily specific uh, a specific uh, comment about because their obsession with pop music, which is overwhelmingly mm-hmm. hip hop, mm-hmm. Euro hip hop. Uh, and overwhelmingly, these singers that they adore, these singers or rappers, uh, they're doing some French version of gangster rap or, uh, a hip hop love or, uh, love song or dance routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are obsessively, I mean, this is like another example of world, world pop culture. Um, I, I remember one, one time, uh, uh, a distributor told me that, you know, Pop culture around the world, you know, it's all the same. It's the same top ten. They're just rearranged as what's number one, what number two. And their their obsession with uh, these French hip-hoppers is just instructive. There's almost, early on anyway, there's almost no comment about race. But they are obsessed with what's obvious, these obviously black French hip-hop rappers. Right, exactly. It's a big part of the book is that she reflects on celebrity. Mm. And and I think that's both a comment on how much celebrity influences young people's visions of themselves and 100% about race. I mean, there's, there's, Satouf is, is doing it lightly, but I think with some deep cuts. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also quite a bit of talk about, I love, there's a lot of talk about Christmas. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, and whether or not she believed should or shouldn't believe in Father Christmas. Uh, right. You know, why buy toys when Father Christmas will give them to you for free? Yeah, she didn't quite get why were we going shopping? <laughs> um, and, you know, on another uh, kind of shaky uh, grounds of appropriate, inappropriate, uh, her reactions to to queer culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's, and, an, it's a book that's going to give a lot of cringe to American readers, yeah. I think. And it's interesting to me that there's actually like no attempt to localize it for American. Yeah, you know, no. there's, it's been translated, but there it's all presented very. Um, but I, uh, ha- much- I have to say that, it, you know, and in some ways there are, I, I there's a I find a, a somewhat of a connection between Satouf and, and the next writer we're going to talk about, Julie Wirtz, because mm-hmm. their drawing styles are so so. They seem so awkwardly, uh, you know, uh, cartoony, uh, mm-hmm. in, in the most profound sense. But, you know, what's coming out and what's being there, uh, delivered is, is sometimes comic, but often, you know, kind of, uh, incredibly prosaic and actually sometimes just, uh, just piercingly, uh, painful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and yet there is a, uh, a screen of comedy, uh, or at the very least humorous irony, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, a kind of a, a viscous covering to it. So, um, that, 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 that complicates, I think, the reaction that you have to the material. I, in our review, which I'll quote, this is from the anonymous reviewer. This isn't the profile. Um, the comic is, above all, ruthlessly honest about childhood. Kids are casually cruel. Adults are unimportant much of the time. Society is obviously shallow and materialistic, and terror sometimes descends out of nowhere, but so does joy. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Great review. <laughs> 
So you've already um, teased our next book, which I will tell you the title of now, dear listeners. It's Impossible People, A Completely Average Recovery Story by Julia Wirtz. Uh, and this is from Black Dog and Leventhal. And that's out in May. So this is forthcoming. Um, and you can read my recent profile of Julia, um, as well as the one of the Institute at publishersweekly.com. It's because Julia Wirtz says goodbye to it all. So I am a total fangirl of Julia's. I have to say, I followed her from her earliest web comics. And so this book, if you follow Julia as, you know, across her multiple memoirs, as well as the collection of her, um, you know, caustic web comic series called Fart Party, a title she now regrets, she says, um, you, some of this material will be familiar. Some of the time period she's talking about will be familiar because she's, she spoke about it particularly in the book, um, The Infinite Weight, which was out from Koyama, but is now out of print because of Koyama, Koyama Press's closure. Mm-hmm. So I think it, this is both a book that people who have followed Julia have been waiting for. I've been really anticipating this book for years. Um, and then it's an opportunity for an entirely new readership because it is 100% a standalone memoir as well. And so I think, and there's a, a great readership um, if, of people who've read prose works about recovery. So this book is at heart of the story of recovery from alcoholism, um, that we will maybe turn to it and find something that is, um, authentic and hilarious, uh, and also does not pull any punches. And I think that, and for people who've known Julia's work, we'll find an, like some astounding maturity in her work and some insights, uh, and also very, very familiar, incredibly readable, um, sort of rat-a-tat dialogue and jokeyness in the way that she kind of moves through life. She's very, yeah. very funny. It's, we called it in the review, um, a cartoonist wrestles with sobriety in this forthright, wickedly funny graphic memoir. Um, where his punchlines are as perfectly timed and as delicate and as, as indelicate as ever, but she's augmented her trademark candor with probing insights. So it basically opens with um, Julia in this period in the aughts where a lot of cartoonists who had been really indie trading zines doing their webcomics suddenly got book deals. Um, and I think this book, if you were in the know in comics, um, really also is a time capsule of this period of hmm. um, explosive growth and then mixed outcomes for what it meant to get a book contract and, and sit down and write it. And so she's been afforded this time to write her book, which became Drinking at the Movies, um, from a, which is a major trade contract, but it puts her in isolation. So she's alone all day drawing, and then she drinks every afternoon until she's blackout drunk. And um, it's after like a lot of misadventures and really like encounters with the depression and anxiety that has led to this pattern that she starts trying to to get out of the cycle of alcoholism. And then how she moves forward um, is the episodic unfolding of the rest of the work. But I think what the, the subtitle says at all, it's a completely average recovery story in that there, it doesn't follow the kind of more mythic highs and lows of a lot of the genre of recovery, where, you know, especially within um, AA, which she names, you know, pretty clearly in the work is um, a, a mode that she found sobriety um they it doesn't have this rock bottom to a savior 
narrative. And instead she has, she has relapses. She has sort of mid bottom to. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you don't have to, this is, this is a, you know, a common story is I found my rock bottom, but you can skirt your rock bottom. You can make a change before that. And I think that's something that I think she's really looking at to her work and her example to find people who don't, you know, though some of the episodes she relays could be a rock bottom. Yeah. <laughs> she has, uh, she has, yeah. Yeah. She has throwaway uh, stories about like walking naked, you know, to her apartment in New York City. But she really, the reason she changes is that she's just too sick every morning and um, she's losing time. She's losing a sense of herself in these blackout afternoons. Well, it, it, the book is, is also, I mean, it really is. And I mean, I, I, I haven't read a lot of the recovery. I've read, I've read a few, but I've also read quite a few comics auto, autobiography. I mean, you, you, you could say that autobiography is the bone marrow of the modern indie comics movement. Mm. Uh, it, 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 it has, it has, you, the, the, the form has in some ways maybe, uh, uh, uh been lifted to its kind of highest level. Um, comics in some ways seem uh, ideal for this probing into the self and including a probe by someone who's trying to understand themselves. And, and that certainly seems to be, uh, to, uh, to be uh, words. I mean, on the one hand, she clearly knows the, the fault lines of her, or her personality uh, and, and yet she seems to fall into them over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, and, and, and the point that I mentioned, uh, in comparing her to Satouf is her drawing style. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, a kind of relentless exploration of, uh, of, of a, of a dire stage in her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, she has the opportunity, as you mentioned, to hit rock bottom. She doesn't quite get that, you know, she, I mean, in some ways, uh, it's a chronicle of her, her addiction with occasional furways into her brother's addictions. Right. So she talks about family trauma, uh, including her brother's addictions mm -hmm. and her, and in some ways, she, I, I think I remember talking to Julia for the profile about this. Um, it's like most of the book happens in the coffee shops after a meeting, you know, like if, if some, mm. they're not in the rooms or they don't show her doing the work of AA, for example, they're not unpacking, um, laboriously the reasons behind the hard stories of, uh, family life. They're really about the chatter around it and like the friendships and the circumstances around recovery. Um, it's a real love letter to time and place in New York and to her friends and the community of cartoonists that she becomes really tight with. Part of the story told here is about the founding of Pizza Island, which was a studio space occupied by a group of women cartoonists, including Kate Beaton and Sarah Glidden. A fabulous Good. group, too, by the way. A I mean, fabulous. it really is uh, a, a kind of a key group of cartoonists of that period. I, I know, and I think... I, of continuing importance, too, actually. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is the year that Beaton's book is out... Um, and Julia's book, I mean, they both have big books out this year, and you really see how their relationships, and it's a continuing support network for these women. I mean, my, my understanding from Julia is they're still texting all the time. Like, there's yeah, still a good chat Sarah Glidden is among it. I'm, I'm, there, there are others I'm leaving out that I have to look up very quickly. Um, but um, uh, 
I mean, I, I'll, I'll say this. I'm both Lisa attracted. Lisa Hanawalt, Patuka and Birdie, yeah. Meredith Graham. Yeah, it's all Lisa Hanawalt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's truly a who's who? top tier. <laughs> and and uh, Sarah is also credited um, in the opening of this work. I know that they're quite close now. And, you know, you just really see, you really see how this, this was a foundational time. And that we're, you know, I think it's so hard. I don't want to say hard. I don't quite know how someone entering comics now would understand how it was, right? This is always true about movements historically. But the period when Sarah... Words, sorry, Sarah Glidden, Julia Words, Kate Beaton, Lisa Hannah, while we're entering comics, it was still male dominated. Yeah. And they, they were part of a huge sea change in yes. that. Yes. And, and they, and the humor that they lead with, I think is part of that. You know, there's a caustic humor that's in some ways protective and defensive and really like uh, would be, um, contemporary on the stand-up stage at the period, right? Mm. So they're, they're they're cutting through any kind of BS that they could get from male contemporaries by just being funnier and sharper and a little bit meaner right out the gate. <laughs> you know, and I'll, and I'll say, I mean, uh, uh, and, and, and maybe I'm a, a sucker for cool chick cartoonists uh, <laughs> of great talent. Um, uh, but, you know, her... This book, in some ways, to me, it it sort of attracts and repels because it has that this happened to me and this happened to me and this happened to me and this right, happened and this happened, which can be kind of you know a dizzying kind of. But that once again, that combination of her drawing style, uh, the you know the sensitivity and I think the deep concern <laughs> that she generates for her welfare. In, uh, as you see her, uh, navigating, you know, uh, uh, bottle after bottle of, of wine, even going back to, I mean, hey, I, I've been known to knock back a few. I can't remember the first time I had got drunk, but mm. she can tell you in great and copious detail of what happened to her. Uh, the, the beginning of this, like, dismal uh, embrace. Uh, booze. Um, uh, but on the other hand, there's a tension here because I find that, uh, uh um, I find myself being, uh, for instance, I always knew of Julia Wertz's work. Uh, I would dip into her books, you know, Fart mm-hmm. Party and the others, but I, I hadn't really read it until Tenement's Towers and Trash, her, her masterpiece, uh, of this embrace of New York City. Uh, uh, and I was, I even moderated a panel with her and, and I, I, I was, I was really thrilled to be able to do it. I'm almost guilty that her, her drawing, these, uh, all, these, these very, uh, kind of cartoonish linear drawings with starkly black and white, they distract actually me from her, her life story. I mean, it creates a balance because I, I, I can't, as someone who loves New York City, mm-hmm. Her loving recreations of them as she's walking back from this disturbing, uh, and unsatisfying group chat about alcoholism. Uh, and when I'm supposed to be paying attention to her, I'm looking at how she's carefully in detail every sign on the street that she lives on on the way home. So there's just constant levels of, 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 of I don't know, distracting narrative, uh, at the same time, 
Well, she gives you these very kind of uh, hilarious portraits of her, her failing relationships. Um, uh, there's these tender moments where she's describing you know, what the golden hour in New York, and she's doing this in mm-hmm. black and white that makes her think of suicide. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I, you know, the, the complexity and the forest of personality that she offers, which in some cases, you know, I would think an editor would say, you know, do you really want to go into this kind of detail? Really, um, she's turned it into a style where in another author, you know, it might be actually a narrative problem. Yes, I don't doubt that this was actually probably tightly edited. I think that the episodic nature of it actually works in the way that a film can work, you know, that where one after another... um, scenes occur and there's a sense of like where is this all going and yet uh much like life it unfolds in an unpredictable pattern um and it is circuitous and it is tangential and she's such a raconteur you know that the stories are just choice she's very funny she's great at telling an anecdote um and she's a collector not only of these snippets of dialogue um which are just hilarious one-two punches but also of scenes and moments and as objects so i mean also julia as a person collects objects that she recovers in urban adventuring, which she gets into a bit in the book. Um, it was like an activity that she got involved in or a hobby. I don't know quite what to call it. Obsession. Um, and extreme <laughs> sports. And, and <laughs> uh, a therapeutic gesture as well. Yes, exactly. So in her sobriety, she um, starts exploring abandoned buildings and sites, um, which is a messy, dangerous, legal often activity. And she collects things. And there's way that you see in the pages her attention to objects and the yes. stories that objects tell and that is another form of storytelling and you're speaking to it as the cityscape which is very much a story being told in the signage and the changing signage especially as she is wrapping up her time in new york in this work mm. you know through through the decision to become sober and also get out of a rut also coincides with um the escapades of living in a illegal basement apartment um yes. and um sandy basically like a huge hurricane coming and the need yes. to be away from the apartment so it won't flood um and ultimately getting out of a relationship with a dysfunctional landlord um <clears throat> and so there's a it's capturing a transitional point in time and all of the infuriating circular detail of going through that period. And I just didn't find myself lost in those details. But I found myself engaged, you know, like really, um, I couldn't put it down. I really love entering her way, her worldview and, and entering the landscape that she's created. And you're referencing, um, Tenement Towers and Trash, which won a major architectural award, which are her line drawings of New York City neighborhoods. She says that she had so many drawings of Greenpoint where she lived that she couldn't put in that book because it wasn't a Greenpoint book. It was an entire yeah. New York book well, that she was able to yeah. use them in this book. Like this is literally her taking the work of those detailed scapes from this architectural project. And then her, her figures become like paper dolls, you know, or, or, characters yeah. entering the mise-en-scene. And I think that, um, I think there's something really amazing there about how even, even the character drawings, the figure drawings, other people have more detail than she does. She draws herself as a cartoon, even when she draws more evocative or recognizably, mm-hmm. you know, still cartoony, but realistic, um, other figures. And I think that's how she's able to, she, she puts herself at a distance enough, I think, to be really incisive and, and uh, cutting to herself in the same way that she often is to others. Like she has an anthropic 
worldview that is sort of attractive and hilarious um, and like many a comedian. And yet she turns that lens on herself in a really piercing way. Yeah, no, the book really brings in pretty every aspect of her life and and, and every emotional calamity of which there are a number uh, that <laughs> she has romances. to n- navigate from uh, the men in her life uh, to, as I mentioned earlier, her brother's story, who is, who is really a tangential but important figure. I mean, he goes from dope fiend to dope counselor. I mean, it's really... Uh, I mean, her, his, the arc of his life was potentially even more disastrous. Uh, but he, he ends up being this parallel voice that you would like to think that, man, you know, if I was somebody's brother, that's who I would like to be. Cause he's, he, he, there's this commonsensical poetry to, mm. uh, to, to the role that he plays. Mm-hmm. I, I love the scene and I think this was him. Where she's trying to deal with the religious aspect of these twelve step and uh, and you know the, the dealing with God, but she's, you know think of it as just a group of drunks, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and uh and maybe that and it does make more sense to her when dealing with these the groups of equally troubled people. She has to be around to try to figure out where yeah, her and life she's is going. Critiquing, she's critiquing twelve step programs through the voice of her brother mm. as well as a little bit yeah. of herself in those dialogues and she does it lightly actually i think she's i think throughout this work even though it, it feels as you're reading it like it's Kerouac straight off the you know onto the roll of paper in fact i think it's been very thoughtfully restrained um despite how Frank, she comes across because I get the sense that there could have been reams more of critique, but she <laughs> wants people to read this book who are in the throes of addiction and feel welcomed into recovery. So she's somehow very critical and, and clear about some of that critique. Uh, and yet um, leaves room for people to feel that there is potential to be too hot to find I don't want to say savior. It's an anti-savior in a narrative, but to find help and to find community. Yeah. And yeah. that's what gets her through. And that is also without any spoilers, but Kevin and I were talking about how if you know Julia's work, including her current work in The New Yorker, we should say she's a New Yorker cartoonist and she does ongoing narratives about her own mother and herself as a mother, um, which this book stops well before that period in her life, but it, it's on the the precipice of her life changing from yeah. this period where she lives in a basement apartment and is drinking herself to blackout drunk nightly um, while producing her book, 16 Hours a Day, um, her first graphic memoir published in the trade house, to where she is now. And she's a mother living in California and a New Yorker cartoonist um, and in a marriage. And I think, I don't want to say who she's married to, but we, if you followed her work for a long time, like things come around some of the, the relationships she gets through, because we aren't even really talking about the sort of sex in the city. haha, not at all aspect of this. It is also <laughs> yeah, about, dating. it's not it's like that. In New York. <laughs> right. But it's about dating and about trying to get, you know, get getting, put on blind dates essentially yeah. and meeting people at parties and she talks a lot about wanting to find a partner and on again and off again relationships and a really bad boyfriend and terrible breakup and she literally crashes a car on an island it's ridiculous like there's some hilarious ups and downs of romance in this work and yet the story does not end on a happy romantic note it ends about 
friendship and about particularly female friendship. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think I read it really as much as this is a spoiler. I really read it thinking it was going to end on romance and it ended instead on the importance of friends who carry you through. And that was really meaningful and made me cry. Yeah. (laughs) And there you have it. That's how you're going to start guys. You go, Julia Wirtz. You go. Absolutely. I love her work. We, we really, um, I, I, this was an anticipated book. I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited that Real Tattoo has a new publisher in the U.S., given that yeah. Metropolitan, though they've done a lot for the series so far, haven't brought out the next book yet. So now he has this other home for a new series. And, you know, Chip Kidd, by the way, is Tattoo's editor. I mean, there's both of these yeah. works have really wonderful homes right now with these publishers. Yeah. And so we're really she's, she's put together a shelf, them. you know, she's, uh, 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 her book career. And, you know, it's, it's a yes, shelf. Word says, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, and there's another book coming. This is not yeah. the last, she has, this was a part of a two book deal with, um, uh, with Black Dog and Love and Fall. So, you know, they did really well with Towers, Tenements and Trash, Tenements, Towers and Trash. Great and book. This, yes. is, this is going to be a second memoir is going to be on the horizon. So I'm hoping that this finds a whole new audience for her. Um, I think it's poised to do so. All right. Hey, all right. Two good books. Why don't you go out and buy them? Why don't you? Yes, exactly. Pre-order for words. You can get um, Esther's Notebooks right now. All right. All right. Hey, Mick, thanks so much. Thank you, Calvin.